Welcome to another episode of the ACL Podcast. It's your boy Tuan, and we're recording live from our studios on the intersection of Highland and Westmounts. Uh, a lot has happened in the NBA since we last uh, had a talk, so a lot to discuss and dissect. But before we do, as with our tradition on our podcast, got to catch up with my co-host, good friend, and Sarmalova, Nav. What's going on, baby? What up, what up? We're in the playoffs, baby. We're in the playoffs. Feels good. Really excited to uh, talk about everything that's gone on in the bubble since we last spoke. Feels like so much has gone on. So many different storylines and subplots. Uh, yeah, man. Can't wait to break it down. Uh, what did you get up to in the past two weekends or so? I was in Prince Edward County last weekend and that was so much fun. So for anyone that's listening who doesn't know what that is... It's like a smaller wine region in Ontario. So if you're familiar with Niagara and in the wine region in Niagara, uh, Prince Edward County is up and coming. Um, it was a blast. If you like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, like it's heaven. They had some really cool wineries, really good food. Weather was on point. Um, so we did wine tours primarily all Saturday and we went to like four or five different wineries and we just biked around and man, I think we biked like a total of like an hour and a half yeah. throughout the day. It was insane. Um, legs are so sore the next day. <laughs> was it just you and Shona? Yeah, it was just Shona and I. Um, but yeah, other than that, just working. Haven't been able to golf as much as I want to because it's picking up over here, but can't complain. How about you? Yeah, so this past week we had our uh, NFL fantasy draft. So I'm not a big like basketball fantasy guy ironically enough but I do uh, we, we've been doing this league for like the last five years so it's nice to uh, get together with the boys since none of us have been really been able to catch up with COVID and everything so it's nice to get the 11 other guys around and just you know joke around have some drinks and uh, draft some players to see hopefully the season uh, actually goes on And but I heard they have, they're having fans in the stadiums of course, the new are. season. I don't know what's going on with the states. I don't know what's going on with the NFL even allowing that. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully, uh, the season doesn't um, get canceled during you know the the middle of the, the season. What's the pot for the for the winning? So the winner? so you know with COVID, you know money's a little tight for everyone. So we had to reduce it to two hundred bucks buy-in this year. And Each we to, person two hundred yeah. bucks. Yeah. Damn. We we did four hundred last year. And we're supposed to, we've been gradually going up $100 every year. So we started like 20 bucks and then went up to 100, 2, 3, 4. And it's supposed to be 500 this year. But we got two uh, new people who, who've never played before. So we're like, yo, probably this year, take a little easier. COVID hit and we got two new guys that are a little inexperienced. So we didn't want to like take their money. So Jeez, how many people? <laughs> there's 12, there's 12. So $2,400 pot. Jeez. So, yeah, it's nice, nice little little bet throughout the week and throughout the, the season. So, yeah, it should be fun. But, uh, yeah, man, we uh, a lot going on right now. The bubble's just finished. It's Tuesday, so we're the second day of the NBA playoffs. A lot happened yesterday. Four big games happened and two games so far today and two more going on. But before we get there, you know, we want to talk about the bubble, as you know, 
yourself someone who was a little pessimistic on the league resuming and having a quality product on the floor? You know, what, what were your thoughts on the games that this is 22 teams played? Um, how did you find the play-in game and kind of your overall thoughts on the uh, just the health and the, the product that the NBA was able to put on the floor today or this past month or so? Yeah, from a big picture perspective, I honestly think that the bubble could be here to could be here to stay. I honestly do. I think if there's any league that is always tinkering and thinking about um, thinking about different ideas and different approaches to um, to promote their product or display their product, I think the NBA is that league. And I think the bubble has been nothing but a success. And I think we're gonna have to now reevaluate how we feel about home court advantage and what that actually means. And I honestly think that this experiment with the bubble with due to COVID-19 is going to have longer implications. I could see us moving to a format like this or a situation like this, a style like this going forward because it's really the great equalizer. And what I really enjoyed and what I thought about was the reduced amount of teams makes for way better entertainment. For sure. It's been unreal to be working and at one o'clock you're watching, you know, two of the best 16 teams or 22 teams in the league go at it. And there hasn't been one game since this started that I wasn't slightly intrigued about because you know you're getting the top teams in the league. Yeah, there are huge implications. Um for so many teams, even during the first first of the eight games and then the eighth to the, the final game, right? So like we saw with the Phoenix Suns, a team that really ha- no one thought had a shot of even uh, getting into the playing game. And then them getting and winning eight in a row and barely missing out on on that playing game, which kind of sucked. I, I was rooting for them. I was kind of hoping for Portland to lose uh, even though, you know, I have ties back to Portland. But it was nice to see a young team like that be able to win eight straight when they were struggling all year. Devin Booker kind of making a name for himself, especially after hitting that huge bucket over Kawhi against the Clippers. And then, unfortunately, again, they didn't, they didn't make the, the playing game. But we could also talk about the Trailblazers um, and the run that Damon Lillard had in the final three games where he averaged like 50 points per game and um, I think he almost averaged 40 plus or 40 uh, during the eight games in the bubble so he had a fantastic uh, eight games Uh, Gary Trent Jr. had a great great eight games in there as well and even the Spurs they played well Mm -hmm. and unfortunately for the Memphis Grizzlies they didn't you know get where they want to get to but again, John Morant showed a lot throughout those eight games. Unfortunately for J- or, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., he got hurt. Yeah. But Valanciunas played really well, mm-hmm. had a huge triple-double, had a huge final game. And even some Canadian guys on that team, Brandon Clark, um, Dylan Brooks, mm. playing yeah. really well in the last few games. Uh, super exciting. And for myself, I said one of the things that I would have changed when the bubble started was reduced everything to... Uh, those 16 teams or those 20 teams and take out, you know, the Suns, take out Brooklyn or whatever, or not sorry, Brooklyn, but Washington. But it was good to have that, those two, 
those teams in there because the Suns really played their asses off, uh, played their asses off. But of course, they put them; they didn't, they couldn't make it, right? So, yeah, for sure. Going back to the Suns, like shout out to Monty Williams. That was a really strong display of coaching on his end. Yeah. Obviously, as a superstar, a guy that's paving his way as a superstar in Devin Booker, but they were definitely a a success in the bubble. Um, Portland, obviously, a success in the bubble. Washington was probably <laughs> the worst display of a team in the bubble. But, uh, you know, so they essentially tanked. And is this going to have favorable implications for their draft? No, there, no, it, no, there isn't going to be any. They, Yeah, they fell two spots right. lower than, than when they entered the bubble. Right. But and that was a concern I, going into this. Yeah, it's like, I, you know, for a team like Washington, this could just mean, you know, better better draft uh, odds. No, I think they decided that before the draft, that's where the lottery uh, positions would end up. So it didn't matter how well or poorly the Wizards did. It wouldn't have any effect on the, the draft positions uh, for the upcoming lottery. Right. And you got to you got to remember like in an 82 ga- in an 82 game season, there's a lot of monotony in the NBA. You know, any given night, when you when you have one of those nights when there's like seven, eight, nine games, you're always going to get like three or four games that you don't really care about, you don't really want to watch. But shortening up the teams made every single game exciting. Yeah. The Raptors had eight games that were like blockbuster games. And fortunately for them, because there weren't certain teams in the league, or sorry, in the bubble... They were able to get a lot of that spotlight. And for the first time, as a Raptor fan, someone that is from the area, for the first time, I think, in national media, we were getting a lot of coverage. There was a lot of Raptor coverage on first take. A lot of, uh, pardon the interruption, they were starting to get a lot of love. And it was actually really cool to see. But I think that's a byproduct of the bubble, less teams, and the fact that their their style of play was able to actually um, get displayed on a national scale. Yeah, not to um, nag on the fact that after we did our last podcast, when they had won three in a row, beat the Lakers, beat the Heat, mm-hmm. beat the Magic, and then they had a big game against Celt- the Celtics, and right. they kind of just shat the bed on that one. And that was when the media hub was at the, probably the highest I've ever seen it. Yeah, the it. tipping point. Yeah, the tipping point I've ever seen with U.S. media. Like, I would be on YouTube, I'd be on um, Instagram, I'd be on Twitter and it was just talking about the Raptors, Raptors, Raptors. Like, are they going to be able to repeat? Nick Nurse, the best coach in the league, and they kind of lay that egg against uh, the Celtics. But after that game, they win four in a row, and they're on they're on track to do really well in the playoffs now. Um, again, they did lay that egg there, uh, but they re- they rebounded back, and I think we should mention that they went seven and one. They had the um, the toughest schedule going into the bubble. So in those eight games, uh, their opponents' records was the highest winning percentage out of all teams. So we were concerned about maybe the Raptors losing that second seed yeah. to to Boston, right? But yeah, they they got guys that came up came up big. Stanley Johnson had a huge game. You know, shout out Stanley Johnson, who I would say was probably one of the worst players in the league. For the first six games of the bubble, played well in the seventh game and then played really well um, in that eighth game where he, I think he dropped like 24 points. Shout out to Paul Watson Jr. too. That's the first time I saw him play extended minutes and he played really well. So um, 
even the 14, 15 guys on the Raptors can perform when you give them decent minutes throughout the throughout a game, right? So yeah, no, absolutely. So I guess my question to you is, um, oh, sorry, no. One of the other things I wanted to say was the abundance of sl- the subplots. In the last what how was it been three four weeks? Yeah, three four weeks. Yeah, has been incredible. Like the NBA never fails to entertain. No, no. whether you can just re- you can rely on the players creating entertainment uh, just by the way they talk to each other, the trash yeah. talk, the the feuds and the rivalries that just evolve by them just being with each other, right? Um, so that's always the thing. But then you had all these players coming out and playing out of their mind. So I guess my question is, what was your favorite subplot? Uh, in the regular season bubble? It probably was the the TJ Warren and Jimmy Butler, um, like, I don't know, battle or scuffle between those two guys. Because before the bubble, they had that heat, heated game where Jimmy basically called out TJ Warren saying, you're, like, you're not able to guard me, you can't guard me. And then TJ playing scorching hot in the bubble averaging whatever 35 in the first few games and then meeting the heat um in their i believe sixth game and then getting shut down by jimmy butler now they're playing each other in the playoffs so that's something to watch out for and i know miami just beat uh indiana not too long ago maybe like an hour ago um 113 101 or whatever so that's kind of something i'm looking forward to and then even so with, that was your favorite subplot in the bubble? I, th- I think so, yeah. What about yours? It's twofold. I think my favorite subplot in the bubble was uh, Dame's resurgence. Mm-hmm. Literally playing like Iverson. And how that changes the Lakers narrative. You know, we had, yeah. a, you had, a, you had a Lakers team that were, they were a favorite to win, at least come out of the West after the All-Star break. And things have been going south for them since March. Whether it's Avery Bradley not coming back, Rajon Rondo getting injured, yeah. Dwight Howard being a knob in the <laughs> bubble, uh, being who exactly being yeah. being exactly who they thought he was prior to signing him. Yeah. Um it's not working out in the Lakers' favor and I think that it's obviously a concern to LeBron cuz he always has his ear to the ground with what's going on in the NBA, what's going on in the league. And he's very aware of narratives. Yeah, for sure. I'm really interested. And you have Dame that's just playing out of his mind. He'd probably, yeah. we'll talk about this later, but he's probably my bubble MVP. Oh, yeah. Um, spoiler yeah. alert. But yeah. I think that this makes for an amazing 1-8 uh, matchup. And don't get me wrong. like There's a world where the Lakers smash the Blazers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can't knock the fact that they have Anthony Davis and LeBron. But I think that this is, that was probably my favorite subplot because it probably makes for the most entertaining first round series. For sure. And for it sure. puts them in a spotlight right out right out of the gate when really like the first round for the Lakers should be coasting. It mm-hmm. should be about resting guys. It should be about just getting through, preparing for the second one. But I feel like we're gonna get the Lakers are gonna get stretched in this first round now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um the Blazers are playing out of their mind again with them playing at an MVP level. Think about this. So the Lakers right now aren't on on track. They would have to beat the Blazers who are Super hot. Then in the second round, if they get past them, they would have to play Houston or OKC, which is going to be a battle. Um, and then if they beat them, they're going to have to possibly play play the Clippers. And then if they get past them, they're going to have to p- 
possibly play the Bucks, the Raptors, Celtics, Celtics, yeah. Miami, Miami. Yeah, like that is a that's a struggle. That's a tough four series to to win the championship, especially when you're depending on guys like KCP. Well, that's the you thing. Know, like exactly, and that's and you know people are going to raise the argument that well, the LeBron's done it before. LeBron's brought you know really weak, shallow, or you know really what do you call it? Yeah, really shallow teams to the finals, right? With no depth. But if you are closing games, like I honestly feel like when I watch a Lakers game, Kuzma is kind of hidden. Like he doesn't even exist, right? I don't see much production out of him. He made that big shot against, I believe, Denver, but that was against Denver's bench when they had their entire starters on. Um, but he, he's been playing a little better in the bubble, but I wouldn't really be confident in it in a team when Kuzma is your third best player and well here's my argument like I don't feel confident in a team when you're closing the game and Caruso is on the floor exactly you're closing or you're in a playoff game and you're relying consistently on a nightly basis for either J.R. Smith or Dion Waiters to actually produce they're supposed to be the guys that you know in a series they just come on the floor and they'll drop 31 game and bail you out Mm-hmm. But you can't count on them for nightly production. For sure. So for sure. They, I think they have so many challenges that, you know, for the, they got to be worried about the first and second round before they can even think about exactly the third or fourth. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the bubble was... Man, yeah, what you said earlier was the NBA always capitalizes on these different, like, situations and opportunities. Even think about their um, that one rule that they put into the All-Star game. Where uh, at the end of whatever the yeah the I forget what that format was yeah with the format but they had to reach a like certain amount of uh, points right and that All Star game was probably the best All Star game in recent memory because it came down to free throws mm-hmm. Anthony 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 Davis hitting free throws but it was super contested um, the format was perfectly done and they did a good job of like honoring Kobe and all that stuff Kawhi winning MVP um, yeah just another just another case study of how the NBA just kills it with every situation that they're put into. Right. And it's so funny because this is like, this is a certain era of the NBA, like where the talent pool is a vast, like there's so much talent in the league right now Mm -hmm. and they all seem like very good guys. And I wonder if this format works with like the nineties generation, you know, with like the Marbury's, the Iversons, you know, the jailblazers, like the, the, the teams and the players that were a little more rough around the edges, I feel like guys right now in the NBA are so polished, so concerned mm-hmm. about their brand. For sure. Um, you know, the stupidest thing that happened in the bubble was Lou Will, that incident. <laughs> but I feel like there were certain eras in the NBA where this experiment doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Because, yeah, guys are just so, they're smarter. And the spotlight's on them so Spot, much more. Social media. Yeah, social media. Like that. Like, so it's kind of a perfect you, storm. You could never get away with shit like this. In the '90s, man. No, you have to. Whatever be you did in the '90s was like, yeah, was magnified. Was just the spotlight was on you, and guys are so aware of their brand, of who they are, and the opportunities that that come with being like a good person, being a good teammate, being a good player. All of that they definitely factor that in, and they're probably not showing who they really are. Some, you know, some were guys, yeah, but, for but, sure. some, but guys coming into the league now, like they all are pretty good guys from like just from a general. Uh, perspective, they all seem like good dudes, good uh, like good family guys, and good just hard workers, right? 
Yeah, no, I think it's it's a perfect storm. I think it's a really good combination. Unfortunately, you know, things happen in the States socially that created an opportunity for players to sort of um, to voice their opinions on like their rights and stuff like that. So yeah. you got that angle too. So players really want, they're, they really want to they really want to put on for uh, whatever cause that they're about, right? So I think it's actually it's a really good. It's, this is going to be a very positive outcome for the NBA. Even if, even if financially, uh, the balance sheet says that maybe they lost a bit of money. Mm-hmm. I think going forward, one hundred percent, this did a lot for the league and the brand. Yeah, in the long term, the NBA is um, it, definitely on the, on the right track, especially with all the Black Lives Matters movement. Their mm-hmm. players being, you know, using that platform. Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Brown, LeBron, all those guys um, having a voice. And always, even before they uh, start their post-game interviews, always mentioning something, you know, just not just not just about the game anymore. It's like a little bigger than that. And obviously, I don't want to get like too political, but they've done a really good job, that, especially the NBA, putting message on the back of their jerseys, um, having Black Lives Matters um, imprinted onto the like on the bus for yeah. the Raptors, and even Black Lives Matters on the court. They've done such a good job of being a progressive league. Whereas, you know, the, like the NFL, baseball, there's just kind of like, they're so iffy about it. And, you know, it's just great to see. Great, really good, good to see, especially for a, a league that we follow and a league that we're passionate about. Uh, it's good to see how progressive they are. Yeah, no, absolutely. Tuan, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go get us a, uh, a beverage. Cool. In the meantime, we're gonna, you're going to shout out our first corporate sponsor. We're going to take a little break like they do in, in a lot of pods. I want you to talk to our audience about Window Photo Booth. Okay, for sure. Give me 20 seconds. All right, no problem. I'll be right back. Cool. All right, guys. So, as some of you know, I have a side business called uh, Window Photo Booth. Uh, my girlfriend, Judy, is a wedding photographer, and uh, she always has... Customers and clients, you know, inquiring about having photo booths at their wedding. So something that we started together and, you know, COVID kind of it was a little bit of a hurdle for us, but we are starting to pick up again. So if you guys are ever tr- interested in having a baby gender reveal, family gathering, wedding events or anything, you know, nice 20, 30 people g- gathering, we would love to be a part of your uh, event. So give us a shout out at window at gmail.com or check us out on window photo booth on Instagram. Boom. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Should we jump into some awards? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do some awards. <laughs> let's do some awards. Uh, so the NBA announced their um, recipients for... Bubble MVP, Bubble first and second team, and the bubble or the, I guess the coach, the top coach for for the bubble. So, Damian Lillard, uh, to no one's surprise, won MVP. Wait, they already announced these? Yeah, they announced that on Saturday. Yeah. Come on, man. I had no idea. Get your shit together. Okay, let's, okay, so Damian. Yeah, Damian won uh, MVP uh, unanimously. so he was on the first team, Devin Booker, James Harden, Luka Doncic, and uh, CC Warren, aka TJ Warren. 
Cash uh, considerations. Yeah, cash consideration. Uh, second team was Giannis, Kwai, uh, Karis LeVert, uh, Michael Porter Jr., and Chris Epps. Do you have any qualms or any thoughts on those picks? No, I, I guess just feel like I, I feel like I have my ear to the ground with what's going on, and that kind of I think a flaw was that they could have done a better job with announcing those. <laughs> <awards>. <laughs> I have no qualms with that. I think <laughs> Damian Lillard was definitely the MVP, honestly playing out of his mind. It was, um, it was insane. And, you know, again, leave it to the players to create the entertainment, right? Not just, like, the way they play. Everything off the bubble, everything off the court. They just do such a good job with their... They do such a good job with their social media accounts, trash-talking, mm-hmm. um, stirring the pot. Yeah. Um, leave them, leave them to their own vices, and you know there's no shortage of entertainment. So obviously, case in point, what triggered him was the Paul George stuff. Yeah, the Paul George and Patrick Beverly nonsense on the bench when he missed the, the two free throws. throws. Yeah, because that was a big game. Legit, that was a big game for them. They, they, if he hadn't made those two free throws, they would have been up. But he missed both. They had to foul, and then yeah. uh, subsequently lost that game. And then they had to win the next three games. To uh, to advance to the play-in game, had they lost one of those games, they wouldn't have even been in the play uh, play-in game. It would have been um, it would have been Memphis and it would have been Phoenix. Right. So in those three games, he scored 61, 51, and forty-two, basically averaging 50, 50 plus with nine assists um, to add to that. So this guy was playing out of his mind, shooting from the logo, getting teammates involved. And yeah, that's that, that's a hilarious subplot though. Just how that all went down, him, him, and or his sister trash talking Paul George's uh, girlfriend, just calling her whatever, like a stripper, and then Paul George's girlfriend calling her a cow and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like unfiltered entertainment. Oh my right? goodness! And you know what? I forgot how Damian Lillard is actually the bear that you don't poke. Hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. name a player in the NBA that's colder than Dame Lillard. Despite the fact that you know maybe Kawhi Leonard, you know a guy that can just like give you daggers after yeah. daggers, but Damian Lillard is that guy. No, he's that guy. Think about his buzzer beard against the Houston Rockets. Yes, exactly. When Dwight Howard he's was been with doing James this. Harden, then his like sidestep three from basically like forty foot out against OKC, basically sending Paul George and Westbrook home, and. Yeah, he's man. He, you gotta consider why they were the eight seed because they just they were hurt all year. They should be a top four, top three uh, team in the West. Again, they made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. Um, they were trying to build on that, but Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic got hurt. CJ McCollum's hurt right now. He's hurt right now. His back's back. Yeah, he, I think he has a fracture in his back. Like one of his bones in his back's broken actually. So they're, they're they've been playing shorthanded all season, even right now. And this guy's been able to carry that team on his back and playing at a incredible level. Incredible yeah. Level. No, absolutely. Um, bubble MVP. Yeah, bubble MVP. Most definitely. Um, next award. Uh, th- those were the only awards that the NBA released. So let's let's do our own here. Yeah. So I was saying I was thinking, who is your breakout player? Kind of not like a star. So I'll give you mine first, and then you can sure. have some time to think about yours. But mine was Gary Trent Jr. Okay. And I think he was a big piece 
on Portland being able to advance to the playoffs. Yep. He's a guy that, you know, played behind a lot of stars when he was at Duke. I think he was a second round pick uh, uh, for Phoenix, or sorry, for Portland. And he's kind of just found a role with this team where he is a lockdown three point shooter, a great defender, um, and just someone who has been averaging like 20 plus per game in the bubble. Someone who's been really picking up the slack for, for CJ who's been hurt and, you know, kind of covering for Carmelo, who's a terrible defender. I've, I'm not someone who's who's watching play in and play out on defense, but I was watching Carmelo just not even try on defense. It's yeah. kind of embarrassing. Not to interject, like I want you to keep going, but yeah. one thing I'm really finding funny, you know, the NBA media is always one to find narratives, right? Try to find narratives, try to hype up the series, but we need to stop with the Le- LeBron versus Melo uh, rivalry <laughs> <laughs> with this no, Lakers no. Portland matchup because that's so far removed from being a thing. Yeah, that's five years removed. And Carmelo is such a bad defender to the point that it might be one of the reasons that the the Blazers don't have a chance in this series because they're going to need his offense but can't afford his defense. No, you're right. He's he's averaging 15 a game or whatever, but. The the Blazers are the Blazers in their eighth and final game of the bubble. They needed to win that game against Brooklyn, and the score was I believe one thirty five, one thirty four, and they just let Karis LeVert just go off on them. And Brooklyn was up all game. They needed like a they needed a big run from from Lillard, excuse me, and they they locked out that LeVert missed a step back mid range jumper, or their season would have been done. Right. How do you let a hundred and how do you, how are you a playoff team and let 136 points or 135 points be scored on you in your season-ending game? You know your season factoring game. And again, I'm not going to put that all on Camelo, but it's it's you know that's that's a big deal. And that's the only one thing that I think the Trailblazers are going to tr- struggle with uh, against the, the Lakers if they they let Kuzma, Caruso, KCP, any one of those guys kind of get a little bit hot in the series and get a little bit of confidence, then they're kind of screwed. Because they're, they can only really contain LeBron or AD so much. Mm-hmm. And if those guys are able to play make and pass it out to the one one of those three, four guys, and they got hot, you know, it's basically over for them. Yeah. No, I think I think my breakout player, and I'm not I'm not a big Heat fan. I I try to stay neutral, but uh, the Heat, Heat are definitely on my list of teams that I don't cheer for just for... For whatever sake, but I'd say Duncan Robinson. Yeah, I'm really impressed with who that guy is becoming, mm-hmm. and he's like a new age Ray Allen. I heard it on the Bill Simmons pod. They were comparing him to Pasha Stojakovic in, in certain ways. He is kind of like that caliber mm-hmm. as a shooter, but he's able to do so much more. Exactly, he's he can the- defend. Yeah, he can defend. He can, he can the take ball. it to the hole. Yeah, he's he got a mid-range game and a game around the rim. He's tough. He's really tough. And you can tell that in the locker room, whether it's Jimmy Butler, the leadership in Miami, whether it's coaches or players, they're really pumping his tires. They're giving him the green light. And they're letting him sort of experiment with his boundaries. I feel like he's he's going to flourish in that organization. He's going to be someone to rec- be reckoned with. For sure. For He's sure. a really tough player. 
And it might seem outlandish to even say that he's going to be like Peja because I know, um, obviously, Peja, a great player. Well, that's a legend, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And this guy was a top three um, MVP. MVP um, we'll get her um, in the early 2000s. But, yeah, that's a, that's a good pick. Duncan Robinson is, I believe, a second-year player. He, so he's got – and I know he stayed four years uh, in college. He started out as, as a – as a DT, D2 player, I forgot what school he was at. Then he transferred to Michigan. He played, I believe, three years there. Was a second-round pick for the Heat and bounced back uh, between the G League and the Heat uh, last year and kind of found his niche within the team or his role within the team um, late last year. And now he's really coming to his own. And they also have Hero, who's playing so confidently. I've never seen just like a rookie just... Kind of even then in his role, like this guy down two or three or down one or two, they steal a ball. I forget who 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 was against, and he just drills a three with like ten seconds left. Like you're not looking you're not looking at Jimmy Butler to score. You're not looking at um, Ed O'Bio to make a play. This guy's gonna just make a jumper to to take the lead when you really need him to. So yeah. they have competent shooters, and like I said, I think I said this earlier in our. Uh, playoff bracket prediction that if those guys get hot and again they have Iggy they have um, Crowder who are playing really well Crowder's playing really well right now he's playing much better than he was with Memphis and Iguodala doesn't look washed up again he, if he's able to just defend make a two, make a three here and there and just really you know give the ball to Butler who's again another superb defender and if he's able to find those shooters Dragic um, Harrow, Robinson, you know they're 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 scary. They're scary, and you will see. Like they they just took um, Indiana in the first game, and I don't think they're going to struggle against them. And with the Bucks losing to Orlando today, they might be in for a long series. You know, you, you never know. It might go to six. Might go to seven. Yeah, I have so my we'll I have some thoughts on that loss, yeah. and uh, I want to save it for when we go over. <laughs> These matchups, but okay. no, yeah, Duncan Robinson. I think he's going to be an all. He, there's going to be a couple years in at least a couple years in his career arc where uh, either he's an all star. There's serious all star consideration. Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. I can see that too. But yeah, we'll see how he pans out. He's yeah, got, he's got a bright future with with the Heat. Yeah, take us uh, take us to the next take us to the next award. So I don't have another award, um, but. My, I guess the next award would be one of the most improved. I would say even like rookie, like who who's like who's the best performing rookie? Because we had a lot, you know, we had like even Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, played played extremely well. Bull yeah. Bull showed really flashes here and there. Um, Bull Bull came out hot. He came out hot. He, he had that one. Hot. Yeah, he came out those two games early on. Well, I guess here's my question for you. Say the say the season started in the bubble and ended in the bubble. Is Zion Williamson your rookie of the year? Based Sorry. on only bubble play? No, Is definitely he, not. Definitely not. How come? He just did he, he was again, he had that he had to leave the bubble for family matters. I think it was like grandfather's passing. So he didn't have and he wasn't able to get on the court, wasn't able to do conditioning, and he basically just came out rusty as hell. Especially with the the three month um, delay in the season, and the team didn't play well, 
they they really just stunk it up really and John Morant just played out of his mind I think John Morant's my rookie of the year oh he is he is that's regular season bubble I think John Morant unanimously yeah unanimously he's one of the the top five players that reflect the future of the league yeah he played he played super well Uh, Brandon Clark played really well Um, it was pretty surprising to watch these guys come out like that and even though Memphis struggled they, they lost a lot of close games they lost a lot of games where if they were two or three years older and had those um, games in their in their back pockets and experiences um, without those two within those two three years they would have won those games but they lost a lot of close games even though they made it to the play-in game they only lost by a bucket or two I forget it was a, it was a very close game throughout they were leading in the fourth they kind of lost it in the uh, in the later in the latter half of the game but that's an exciting team to watch, even with JB. JB played really well, too, even though he's not a rookie. He's someone who, as a Raptors fan, we you know said, okay, well, it's tough because he's going to get you great offense, but it's, it's going to be tough for him to get out there with the big threes or the big, uh, the big power forwards, the centers who are shooting threes now, right? So he's struggling with that, but he's, he played really well. He had a big triple-double in a big um, game against the, uh, the Blazers. So, yeah, I would say Michael Porter Jr. is my my rookie who made the biggest impact um, in the bubble. He reminds me a lot of, you know, I, I know Doris Burke said this on the the broadcast last night, but he reminds me of KD the way he's going to just grab a rebound, dribble three, four times, and then pull up at the top of the key and look so smooth. And the only concern with him is he's injury-prone. He's had a few bad knees uh, injuries. I know his family um, has a track record of, um, yeah, just a lot of injuries. His younger brother, who's supposed to be a pretty uh, big prospect uh, towards ACL last last year at uh, Missouri. His sister, who has also played at Missouri, I think she's had like two or three ACL surgery, so I think it's like a history, uh, like a family history. Yeah, thing. hereditary thing. Yeah, so unfortunately, we'll, we'll. I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, he can stay healthy. Um, but he was super impressive, and again, he was on the second team, all bubble team. So he definitely got he got the acknowledgement and the spotlight that he definitely deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, coach of the year. Does coach it change for you? <laughs> definitely not. No. Uh, one thing I'll say is I think they released the results for the, I think, was it AP Coach of the Year, where the coaches voted on who should have won Coach of the Year, and uh, Billy Donovan and um, Boonholzer right. were tied for the tied as winners, and um, Nick Nurse was, like, I believe, one vote away from from uh, being in a three-way tie. But I don't think there's any question. I think he will win Coach of the Year when those awards are announced. And just from whatever... Just, just watching the game and knowing the game. This guy is playing, playing chess while everyone's just really just playing check checkers right now. He's, he's he's playing defenses where no defense is the same game after game, and he's getting the most out of each player. Um, Terrence Davis is playing really well. Fedrin Vliet, ever since he's taken off or ever since he's taken charge of the of the team, has been a new player. Uh, Powell again, playoff Powell's playing really well, so he deserves that 
award, no doubt, and I don't think it's going to be close close uh, with the media votes. Oh, he gets he gets the most out of out of what he's given. That's for sure. He knows how to he knows how to extract the most out of the players that he's working with. That's no doubt. And seven and one in the bubble that says a lot for sure. Um, yeah, Nick Nurse definitely my coach of the year as well. The other thing I was going to say was I understand the Billy Donovan part. Yeah, me too. So me too. I could I could have seen a, a Nick Nurse Billy Donovan um, tie. Because I think Billy Donovan needs to be recognized for for what he was given, the mm-hmm. amount his team has changed in the last five years. Mm-hmm. He went from KD and Westbrook to Shane. Chris Paul and Shea Gildress Alexander. Yeah. And he's managed to get them to a point where they're very much in contention in this first round versus Houston. Yeah. Regardless of what you might think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be a close series. I just think... I don't know who the, who who on their side is going to guard Harden, and then once right. Westbrook comes back, then I don't think it's going to be that close. But yeah, with Westbrook being out the next two three games, they could snatch two of those three, and then we'll we don't know what's going to happen in those next four games possibly, right? So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the other thing I want to say about Nick Nurse, the whole chess checkers thing, because I do believe that he does uh, do a lot of that. Plays a lot of games, mm-hmm. um, tinkers, experiments, and I honestly think that he was in that Boston game. I think that he was sort of just letting them freely play without much instruction, as he knew that they were going to meet in the second round, mm-hmm. most likely. I think that's a Nick Nurse little chess checker. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I don't that's know a little that. Nick Nurse they, chess they, checkers. They needed to win that game to really like cement their. Spot in the second, so I'm sure there's a little bit of that. They're not gonna give, show their full hand, show their playbook, show what the defenses are like schemes they're gonna run. So I feel like that was a little bit of it, but also Boston played really well. Yeah, Boston made shots. Um, Jalen Brown, I really like Jalen Brown's game. Uh, watching him yesterday, he made big, big shots. This guy's just a really good player. Great complimentary player to Jason Tatum, and we can get into that. Yeah, um, do you want to do that now? Do yeah, let's do that right now. So, into, want to walk into the playoff series? Yeah, let's do it up. So yesterday, um, four games, start of the four series. So the first game was Utah and Denver. Donovan Mitchell with the that was third. one of the best basketball games that I've seen in years. Yeah, it was. It was a matchup between Donovan Mitchell without. Mike Conley without Bogdanovich and just really taking a team on his back and scoring 57 points, the third highest ever in NBA history, in NBA history, um, versus Jamal Murray, Kitchener's very own shout-out, Stanley Park, Grand River, um, Kentucky alumni. Uh, He played a great game. That was a great back-and-forth. And then also Jokic, another big stellar game. Uh, even though he missed the the uh, g- game-winning shot in regulation, him and Jamal played really well in, the, in OT. Yeah, they they complemented each other better than I've ever seen them complement each other, ever. When Jamal gets hot like that, there's going to be so much attention to him. And then already you have Jokic, who's kind of just an abnormal big, who play makes, who can make the big three, who can post... He's just such a versatile player. So when you have kind of your secondary or third third scorer get hot, 
MPG get like score a little bit, just opens the floor up for so many players. And then that pick and roll with them, that pick and roll is deadly because it's deadly. if you go under that, Jamal's gonna shoot that. If you go under, if you go over that, he'll pass it to uh, Jokic and just cut. Yeah. Or go around the screens. They just have so many different opportunities to get those guys to, or the best position for those guys to be successful. Right. Can I can I give you my thoughts on what I was thinking when I was watching them? Because I was serving customers and watching this game as much as I could. Yeah. And the closer it got, the less I was serving customers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was trying my best to uh, to stick to it because it was so entertaining. But honestly, Kobe and Shaq, they dominated around the rim. Jamal and Jokic honestly have the ability. And on that pick and roll, they can dominate on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. They cannot. They they have their ceiling is so high as a duo because they complement each other so well. One player doesn't play bad because of the other. No. And I and I was you can see that when you watch them play. However, I think Denver's biggest if Jamal like this was just case in point of who Jamal Murray can be, but it can, inconsistency has been his biggest downfall in the last two seasons for sure. For sure. So, and we said that earlier in the playoff predictions. We were talking yeah. about Denver and how they had the ability to... Who were they playing at the time? At the time, they were playing the Clippers. Have this... Oh, were the seedings? Yeah. Hypothetical playoff predictions at the time. Regardless... Or yeah, maybe Houston. Regardless of oh, who... Oh, it was Houston. It was Houston. Houston. Yeah, regardless Houston. of Houston. who they were playing, we said the biggest knock on them is consistency. Yeah, of course. And if they can manage to, to do that for the next... In the next seven game series, that's going to be such a hard team to beat. Like now, you're talking about Denver being coming, going to the Western Conference potentially. So I don't think this year they'll be able to um, get to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, the West is just too tough. Um, but with the emergence of Michael Porter Jr. or yeah, Michael Porter Jr. who has a rookie in his first playoff game had like 20 points. Yeah, and man, this, awesome. this this guy is going to be the game changer for that team because we know what Jamal Murray can do. We know what Jogic can do. But if you have someone who's going to be like a KD light, even say, let's say, half of what KD is as your second or third option around that team. And then you have guys like Gary Harris. You got Will Byrne. You got Paul Millsap. Let's not forget about Paul Millsap, who's, even though he's probably on the, you know, down, downward trajectory of his career, he's still a solid defender, you know, multiple-time All-Star. Um, he's a great team player and Mike Malone's done a great job of kind of putting that team together and yeah I'm not sure how they're going to do this year we'll see what what goes on there but that's the team of the future in the Western Conference for me at least just with the emergence of Michael Porter Jr. and then now Jamal just getting hot he was um, not playing too much I believe he was hurt the first three games of the bubble so he's probably getting his legs legs underneath him again uh and he'll probably get a little better. He'll probably be a little more consistent um, throughout the playoffs, as he has been for the last few years. But I think if he has help from those three other guards or from Michael Porter Jr. Uh, and just opens the floor a little more for him, he'll he'll be more con- he'll be more uh, efficient. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I don't think we're gonna go into this much depth with all the other matchups. Yeah. I think we both just saw a lot in Denver in this yeah. particular one, but. His ability to hit meaningful shots and meaningful minutes yesterday was pretty scary. It, it was is, pretty, yeah. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, he, he, he gets a lot of good separation on his step back, 
on his crossovers. And he just has a knack for making big shots. Even last year when they were playing San Antonio in game seven of the first round, um, he was making big shots down the stretch. And even though he had, you know, inconsistent games in game six and game four, um, when he's on, he's on. Yeah. And he's a guy who's shown that he can score 49, 50 points a game, get you a 40 bucket anytime, really, on any given night, and, you know, beat out a guy who scored 57 in a game. Yeah. Right? I, I think the last thing I want to say before we, we were, we're on a Denver love fest here, I think the last thing I want to say is you can tell, and I, I heard some commentators talking about this, you can tell that the organization, the coaches, the players, they want Jokic to be the leader. They want him, to, and they had him mic'd up yesterday. Oh, yeah, I didn't You can that. tell that it's way out of his comfort zone. It was really cool to see him being vocal with the teammates and, and taking on that role. I'm really excited to see how that how that transpires over the next couple of years because I think he has to be uh, their leader. Yeah, he does, well, I, I don't think I've really even heard him speak much. or like. Well, they had him mic'd up yesterday. It was pretty cool. That's cool, that's cool. And, yeah, he's... Like, people consider, like, Joel Embiid and Christoph Porzingis, like, the unicorn, like, the abnormal players. But I think Jokic is the most, like, just different type of, like, different type of species you can find. This guy is just, like, a seven-foot blob. I'm taking taking Jokic nine times out of ten on my team over Joel Embiid. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Uh, Like... That's that's not a question anymore. What 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 we saw in the regular season with the 76ers, even what we saw yet what what I saw yesterday where Joel played really well in the first half but then just deferred to Josh Richardson just to Shea Milt or Shea uh, Shake Milton and to Tobias Harris. He just he should not be shooting any perimeter shot. He should just be in the post dominating and rebounding, but he I don't know, whatever, for whatever reason, he feel like he's, he needs to expand his range, expand his game, and that's not, yeah, the 76ers are not really a team that I'm afraid of without Ben Simmons. Yeah. And they're, they're, the makeup of their team doesn't scare me, and we'll, we'll get into that after, but let's quickly just talk about our, our beloved Raptors. Uh, Should we stay in the Western Conference? Well, I'm just going by. I'm just going by the, the okay. time slot of each okay, game. Okay, perfect. Yeah, if you don't mind, let's do that. So yeah, Raptors versus Brooklyn. Raptors, you know, uh, take a huge 33 point lead going to the second. Um, Brooklyn fights back again. Brooklyn is a uh, three point shooting team, so their style is run and gun three point sh- shooting. So when they were cold, the Raptors were hot. That's how the Raptors got that 30-point lead. And then it dwindled down to a 9-point lead um, late in the third, uh, going to the fourth. And then Raptors were able to um, kind of to seal the game, win by like 23-24. Fred Van Vliet had 30 and 11. So as you know, I've been watching a little bit of ESPN and first take and like, Kendrick Perkins has been saying all season long, back up that big truck because he's going to get paid huge money this offseason. Great season for him in the regular season and great start for him in the playoffs. Um, he's really built to 
play well on this team with Lowry kind of being unselfish. Siakam not really there yet as your go-to guy, so he's going to be able to get 20, 25 points um, and get opportunities to hit big shots. And yesterday, I believe he had eight threes, um, seven or eight threes. Um, shooting is shooting so well right now, and Raptors, just everyone played well. Um, Ibaka had a great game. I know he sat the last two games or so. Siakam, even though he had an 18-11, shooting wasn't too great, but it's still, still playing with a lot of effort, playing with great defense. Got to the line, I think it was like 9 for 9 for the line. And even again, Lowry didn't have the great first first game, but we know he's going to bounce back. He's He took three charges in the first half. So again, Raptors are just you know playing a great team game. Not sure how they're going to look when things are a little tighter and they need a bucket in the last minute or two. We don't know who's going to be that one to that, that go-to guy. It could be Siakam, could be Lowry, could be Fred VanVleet, could even be Doran Powell, right? So they have that. They they have a lot of guys who can be the point of attack, but then also guys who are smart enough to kick it out, um, to play great defense. And um, I don't think they're going to struggle with the Nets, but it'd be a good warm up for for their second uh, second round matchup against either 76ers or the Celtics. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, like you mentioned earlier, we were talking before we started recording, it was kind of like a double blowout. They're up by 30, they gave up their lead, brought it in, the Nets brought it in within like eight or nine points. The fact that they were able to dig in and, and spread it by, you know, 24 points, I think they won by 24, yeah. says a lot about who they are this year. It says a lot about the team that we're dealing with, the resilience that they have, and um, you know, traditionally, as Raptor fans, we're used to a we're used to a game one loss, mm-hmm. and it kind of had that vibe as as the as the lead started to dwindle. But you know, it's a different bunch. They work really hard when they're playing defense. They're on a string. Yeah. It's scary. It's yeah. it's you can watch the clips online right now on Instagram of like the Raptors in multiple possessions and like their ability to move defensively. Um, whether you're guarding the ball or whether you're off the ball is it's actually a nightmare for teams. Yeah. And regardless of how good your team is, what talent you have on the floor, they're going to wear you down. Maybe not to the point where you know they're they're winning games per se versus some of the best uh, consistently, but they're going to wear you down. So I think in a seven game series, they'll put you through the gauntlet, no matter who you are. Sure. So that's really optimistic. That makes you really optimistic. Um, I don't think there's much to worry about on this Nets team per se. Uh, the only thing I'm going to say is the only concern I have is Fred Van Fleet had a really good game. Don't get me wrong, but just from experience and having a guy like Kawhi on the floor, like you said, when you need a bucket, sometimes it wasn't a bucket. Sometimes it was two, three, four consecutive buckets in a row. Sometimes it was a game or two. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm just concerned about uh, whether we have that on our team right now. Maybe yeah. it's a different player every game because, you know, the Raptors are one of the only teams in NBA history. I saw this thing that said they're one of the only teams in NBA history with, um, I think it's, Four or five it's players five. averaging more than f- around 15 points or more. Yeah, it had been like 30, 40 years since like the Buffalo Braves or something right. like that. And case in point, um, I'm just going to load my Score Mobile app here. Shout out Score Mobile. The box score for yesterday's game. It's actually scary when you think about how many guys were in double figures. Ananobi, 12. Siakam, 18. Gasol, 13. Larry 16. Van Fleet, 30. Ibaka, 22. Terrence Davis, 11. 
and then you had Norman Powell and Hollis Jefferson with six. That's yeah. a you're that's such a balanced, balanced. Um, scoring. Yeah, this team I I forget who brought it up, but they are a poor man version of the Detroit Pistons from two thousand four. Yeah, on absolutely. defense, and then a poor man version of the twenty thirteen Spurs, who who beat who beat the Heat convincingly in the finals, where they just share the ball. It wasn't just Kawhi, even though he won Finals MVP. It wasn't just it wasn't Kawhi. It was you know it was Danny Green. It was mm-hmm. Tony Parker. It was Tim Duncan. It was um, sorry, what's this the Australian dude? Patty Mills, right? So a team of five six guys who will score 12, 15 points each game. And just play beautiful basketball. And that's where the Raptors are at right now. And that didn't exist last year. So no, I think that no. we have it's it's just a different makeup os- offensively that we didn't have last year, no. which makes me a little optimistic in a sense that it might be someone else next game. It could be. It could be. It, this team wouldn't surprise me if they went out, have six, seven guys perform their role every single night and just, just win. You don't need that guy, go-to guy. Last year when we watched the Raptors play, they struggled – when Kawhi was isolating because he was the only one who's going to get touches, so everyone else was cold. So Siakam was a little scared to shoot the ball. Lowry was scared to shoot the ball. Fred Vliet had a terrible first two series until he got it going a little bit. But we saw a different type of team in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. I think is my favorite player on the Raptors. That guy, yeah, that guy is actually... I. When he was on Orlando in his first couple of years on, on the Raps, I had no... I wasn't very optimistic about what the rest of his career looked like. This guy's a beast. He is a beast. I thought he was on the downfall or the... Yeah, his, I thought his career was, you know, going to end within two, three years with joining the Raptors. But he looks like a guy that could get another big contract after this year. I believe he's he's due for a contract after he's this gonna, year. He's playing out and of his mind. He's playing, he's playing at the level where OKC or... Any team that wanted to acquire him when he was younger, that's where he, they thought he could be, like this type of player. A guy that can give you, what, 17 and 8, but play great defense, make a big block, make a game-changing block on Giannis or B- Butler or whoever, right, or Tatum. Like Those are the guys that you want your team in. He's a stable force that has been playing so well all year, and he's again, he's playing well in the bubble. He's, he got hurt a little bit, I believe, or he was resting a bit. And he was just back, back, back in uh, rhythm uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday night. Yeah. No. Um, we sh- let's move on for, to another team, or else I'll keep talking about the Raptors for another hour. Uh, polos looked great on the coaches. The red stripe polos. Yeah. Of looked course. fantastic. Um, yeah. Everything just it feels good. It feels good in Toronto. So okay, we got the the game that followed us. One Celtics and 76ers. Um. 76ers came out hot. Uh, Embiid played really well, at least five or five from the field in the first. And then, again, like I mentioned earlier, deferred to to the guards um, in the second and third and never really got back into it. I know he had like a 20-something and 10 game, but he didn't really take much um, control of game uh, when they needed. And Tatum played really well. Um, I know I've been like just kind of trolling him a little bit or talking down on him, but he's a really good player. He's he's a guy that if you if you have him and you're able to complement him with 
great players like the the Boston Celtics are doing right now, they could be a scary team if he goes off. Because he's so young and he has counter moves to everything. Uh, his handles are crisp. His defense is really good. He's a great rebounder for someone his size. And he's the number one option on a really good defensive team. So we'll see how they do. They they beat the 76ers by eight, I believe, uh, yesterday. And without Ben Simmons being um, the number the number one uh, primary defender on him, he's going to be eating the 76ers like nothing. So um, the other big storyline within this game is Gordon Hayward got hurt yesterday, sprained his ankle. So he's out for, I believe, a minimum of four weeks. Um, obviously, we don't wish injuries upon anyone, but that's a good matchup for the Raptors. If both of them advance to the second round, that's going to definitely benefit the Raptors. But obviously, we'd rather have him play and see both teams at even strength. You know, we don't want to, you know, possibly beat the Celtics and then have them say, hey, we lost our top three, top four player. It's like if we lost, I don't know, Fred Rimbley, right? Yeah. Same type of level where he's... Uh, their secondary playmaker after Kemba, um, good defender, you know, give you 16, 17, 18 points per game, and that's going to be a big uh, hole for them to fill out, you know. So Wanamaker, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to fill that, fill that role or Semi Ojale. Honestly, I don't know too many other guys on the Celtics bench, but that's a big uh, injury for them to fill out. Yeah, it's, it's a really weird series. Obviously, the Gordon Hayward injury was unfortunate, but regardless of him being there or not, you got a team that's backcourt heavy versus a team that's super frontcourt heavy. Boston is super backcourt heavy. Philly's super frontcourt heavy, right? So it's a weird series because I could honestly see it either going to seven, but then I could also see the um, I could also see the Celtics sweeping the the Sixers, and I think media outlets. The NBA, us as fans, we have to really step back and acknowledge that Joel Embiid's really good. But we have to decide, we have to kind of come to terms with the player that he actually is. He's really good, but he's been streaky for the last three or four seasons. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to get. When he's when he's hot, he's trash-talking. He's in your face. He's got, a, he's got a false sense of confidence. But he's the type of guy that will give you 30 one night and six the other. Um, and we have to really... He, but he's still considered one of the most, you know, dominant forces in the league. Because when he is hot, it's it's pretty unstoppable. But I don't feel confident, based on my sample size of Joel Embiid, I don't feel confident that he's going to be the reason that Philadelphia gets past the Celtics. I have more confidence that a guy like Kemba Walker, who's a certified winner, um, guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, is it Marcus Smart? Yeah, Marcus. Yeah, yeah, guys. Coached by Brad Stevens, who has a, a a history of getting the most out of his players, like Nick Nurse. He just has the ability to get the absolute most out of everyone on the floor, versus a guy like Brett Brown, who's on the on the coach on the chopping block. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he, all signs point to Boston, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this went in like four and four, four or five. Yeah, because I, th- I think that the narrative, I think that the storyline for the 76ers is Ben Simmons gets Ben Simmons gets injured, Joel Embiid's in the spotlight to become that man, doesn't live up to the expectations, they fire their coach and part ways with one of them. Even though the, the team um, makeup 
with Ben Simmons isn't the greatest. It's pretty devastating to go from Ben Simmons, who is an all NBA defender, world class. Oh, I'm not saying they should. No, 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 no. no. But world class playmaker, even though he doesn't have a shot and just, you know, a 6'9 point guard, then you're downgrading to Shake Milton. It's like, what the the comparison would be like if you went from Lowry to like Terrence Davis, you know? It's just like that type of level. It's just a big drop off of production. And when we did our predictions, I was saying that if if Philly was healthy, they would give Boston a big matchup nightmare because when you have Bill Ben Simmons on uh, Tatum, that's going to be tough for him to to you know get thirty plus. Oh, absolutely. Right? I didn't realize Ben Simmons is an all-defensive player. Yeah. He's yeah. incredible yeah. on the defensive floor. But I think that this is going to... A lot of people, when they're on... When Joel Embiid... And I hate when people do this. When when Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are playing together, um, the narrative becomes, are they better just being alone? You know, are they better without each other? And I think this is going to shed light into, no, A, they're not. Yeah. But I have a feeling that they're going to part ways with one of them. Um, I don't think that they should. What's sad about Philly, too, it's we've been talking about them for the last five minutes. We haven't even mentioned Tobias Harris. How much does Tobias, Tobias Harris get paid? I don't expect you to remember. But oh, he's, he's, getting, he's getting paid the max. It's like five, five years, like $780 million. Right. So you would think that he would come up in our conversation yeah. about you know, how impactful he should be based on market value. Again, he's just... He just doesn't fit well with that team. Like, That's what I mean. They just they don't they, have they, it. they they just made big they, they made a big mistake in trading for him in one. Like they tra- I believe they traded uh, I think traded Shamit, who again was a great rookie. Like he could he was a great shooter who was who would have been really good with that team. And then they traded a bunch for Jimmy Butler, and he didn't return back on that team. And they put all their money in Al Horford again, who is kind of redundant with. And beat there. I know. Again, he was, uh, you know, whatever multiple time All Star. But his role within Boston was great because he was only the big on the floor. He could stretch the floor. He could play, make, he could defend. But now you have him with Ben or with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, just a terrible makeup of the team. So you know, Elton Brand and first year GM uh, trying to big make big moves. They are again one shot or possibly one shot away from. Competing in the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe in the Finals, you never know. But that's the NBA, right? So they were dealt this hand, and their team is not looking good. No, last not looking good. But even look, looking at their top five players, their starting rosters: Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, who's pretty good. He played really well for Miami last year. Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid. Like that's a talented team. It's a really good team. But. Again, it's just the make of the team. Like you're not, you don't have enough shooters around around those guys. Harris isn't a good enough three point shooter. Shake Milton doesn't have enough, uh, you know, game time under his belt to be to be you know a difference maker. And Josh Richardson again, great defender, but he's not a consistent three point shooter. They just don't have that that balance that you need in the NBA right now to, you know, rebound, to shoot, to score have that go-to guy. You really don't have that go-to guy like Tobias Harris. Again, a max player, but I don't think he's deservingly. It's just what the market predicted or, um, you know, was was given to him. So I don't think they're going to go uh, 
further than six with uh, with the Celtics. No, I, I think last year's Philly team would have potentially made it to the finals. Yeah, I agree. All right, so we have two more series um, to discuss here. Second last one is the Mavs and Clippers. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard versus Don, Don, uh, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. Um, you know, the, I think the, the storyline here was Porzingis getting two ticky-tack fouls or technical fouls um, in the game, getting ejected, I believe, in the second quarter of that game or third quarter of that game. So they didn't have their full full team. Uh, Doncic being the um, the youngest player to ever score 40 and the you know the first player to ever score 40 in his playoff uh, debut. Uh, he did have 11 turnovers though, and that's that's kind of no surprise as you're the main focus. Um, and having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, Patrick Beverly um, guard you, that's gonna be a tough, tough series for him. Uh, I believe again they won by eight or so uh, last night. The Clippers did. So with Przingis back for game two, I think it's going to be a lot closer. I think they played really well. They played really well um, down the stretch of the game. And Przingis showed that he is a world-class offensive player. Um, man, this guy is actually just insane for a 21-year-old second-year player. Um, bright future, but it's just not their time. They're just running into a juggernaut defensive team in the Clippers. And... Yeah, you just got Kawhi Leonard on the other side, who is, again, just a defensive monster and a guy that will get you buckets whenever you need to. So, yeah, I, this is probably going to... They might be able to take one or two games, but I think the Clippers just... Once they get Harrell back into a rotation, Lou Williams kind of gets back into it. Um, Morris playing a little better, hopefully... Um, they're going to be running on all cylinders uh, going to the second and third round uh, matchups. Yeah, I think I think all signs right now in the Western Conference are pointing towards the Clippers coming out of the West. And I think if there was ever a time to double down, it's now with the Lakers having to go through an absolute gauntlet in their yeah. playoff journey, right? So a um, couple things that come to mind is, well, one, with Luka Doncic, there's an argument that he could have been the bubble MVP. You know, I know that Dame Lillard did a lot for his team and got them to where they are, a playoff spot, especially when it, was, it wasn't it was easy for a team like the Blazers to to get there with, with Memphis having the advantage and having to, uh, having to lose two games in a row. All they had to do was win one, mm-hmm. right? But Doncic has been balling the entire time. The entire time. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but if you look through his, his seven or eight games with the Mavs, he's been putting up ridiculous numbers. And we got to remember, A, he's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. B, we got to remember that he was doing this in Europe at the age of 16. Yep, yep. So for him to drop 42 in the biggest game of his life, because essentially it was his first time in the playoffs. Yep. And his ability to rise, his ability to rise to the occasion since he was a young teenager, is is proven. Like you can't doubt this guy. He's no. a big time player. He's a generational talent. You can say the same thing about Porzingis, right? 
That's why they call them the unicorn. So mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting, regardless of how this series turns out. I think it's just validating that Luka Doncic is actually he's going to, he is one of maybe the top. Depending on who you're talking to, he's either your top in your top five or top ten, and rightfully so. He's a top five player. He he will make all first team NBA this year. So he needs you, to you, be spotlight. When, when you categorize that way, he he is a top five player. And again, he's a sophomore. It's he, again he averaged twenty nine points, nine assists, nine rebounds as a second year player. And what what is he going to look like in five years? In three, four, five years, when Porzingis rounds into form, when you know their front office is able to put more complimentary players around him, right? Guys that can make big shots, guys that can uh, finish at the rim, and he's just a world-class playmaker, great rebounder. Again, he's a big player. He was bullying guys. He was bullying Patrick Beverly. Well, that's the thing too. Like was, his ability to score forty-two. Wasn't just against like a gimmicky team. No, no. It was against like three of the most pesty. Three of the you don't you. They're the last three players you want guarding you. For sure. Especially when you're bringing sure. the ball up the court. Mm-hmm. And his ability to drop forty two is just mind blowing. Um, I think the stars aligned perfectly for that guy in his career. If he went to the Kings, if he went to Atlanta, um, I don't know if he plays this well. His ability to play with one of the best coaches in the NBA, Rick Carlisle. Yeah. His ability to play for an owner that's willing to spend whatever it takes to win a championship. I think that um, the future looks so bright for this guy. And he's and again, I just the fact that this guy was Euroleague MVP, and his ability to just come into this playoff game and drop forty two points. He he his ability to play well on the big stages is something else. Yeah. You, on a on a more somber note. Relating to all this Luka Doncic talk and whatnot, as Sacramento letting go, or I think I think Vladdy stepped down, right? He, he stepped down as GM of that team, and then subsequently Peja stepping down uh, in his role as I believe assistant uh, GM as well. But you know them, Sacramento Kings having the second all second overall pick. Well, it's inexcusable. Inexcusable, inexcusable, and I know Marvin Bagley. Great player comparisons to like Chris Bosh, to KG, you know, that lefty who's kind of like lengthy, long, skinny, uh, plays with a lot of energy. But even at that time when everyone knew Luca being the EuroLeague MVP, being the star of Real, Real Madrid, being, you know, the, the best player in Europe at, nine, at 18, 19 years old. I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, that's inexcusable. Well, and it sucks that, you know, whatever Vlade did before that, you know, picking up De'Aaron uh, Fox, drafting Buddy Heald, picking Bogdanovich, um, you know, making decent moves. And if you have, I think they were afraid that it was going to take away from De'Aaron Fox, which he hasn't because, like, De'Aaron Fox is a really good player. And, he, again, they, they both did the ball in the hand, but I feel like they could have made it work. Like, like, if you have, like, Lowry or Fred Vliet, two guys, again, who need the ball in their hands, but they complement each other well because they both shoot well, they can attack the rim, play good defense. They could have made it work. Yeah. They could have made well, it work. Well, not to deviate from what we're talking about, but all I'm going to say to that is, if you have Vince Carter on your team, you're still taking LeBron James. 
Okay, so and and I feel as though if there was if there was a, a leader of an organization, if there was a GM that 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 understood the European space, it had to have been Vlade. Mm-hmm. If there was someone that understood the the uh, validity of Euroleague, it had to have been Peja. It had to have been Vlade. You know, they've been there, they've lived there, yeah. they know that. Yeah. And there were so many GMs at the time that looked over Luca because. There's a stigma about European basketball, and there's a stigma about the Euroleague. So it makes sense for you know an American organization led by an American GM to maybe like overlook it or not understand it as much. I yeah. I personally don't understand it with with how sophisticated scouting is right now in the NBA. Sure, for sure. I, there's for sure. there can't be any gaps like that. No, for they're, sure they're inexcusable. It, it is. You're right. You're right. Even from like a I'm not casual fan, but someone who watches intently and follows even like the draft and everything it it is really inexcusable but especially about all the points that you mentioned especially with Vlade with Peja in the backcourt and all the scouts and everyone going to the games and Real Madrid being a you know major team in Europe like how do you not understand that that this guy is a generational player but again you you have guys like um, Bargnani who kind of you know being drafted number one and being a flop, that hurts the reputation of MVP. future players. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just trying to trying to understand their mindset or just like their thinking and thought process throughout the whole thing, but you never know. And there's also like um, reports saying that he didn't like his dad or whatever. I'm not sure how much of a factor that played into it and whatnot, so. Yeah, yeah. no, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough for the Mavs to get past the Clippers. Clippers look really good. Clippers, like I was telling you earlier before we started recording, Marcus Morris, that was, in my opinion, getting Porzingis ejected was kind of by design because you had Luka dropping 42 points. At the time, the Mavs are up by five. At the mm-hmm. time, they were at, before, you got to remember this, before KP got ejected, the Mavs are up by five. So obviously, okay, so... Luca's hot. Send Marcus Morris. That's why they brought him on yeah, to their team. Yeah, yeah. Let's get under Luca Doncic's <laughs> skin. It was kind of Przingis's fault for um, taking, taking the, the bait. bait. Yeah, taking the bait. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So it's exactly what they wanted to do. They won that game because Marcus Morris got KP ejected. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It's chess, right? It is. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And uh, I think they interviewed uh, Doc Rivers at half or like shortly afterwards. And he was saying, yeah, you know, it sucks that they don't have him out there and we'll try to take advantage of it. And then they went to, like, Jeff Van Gundy. He's like, get him out of there. You know, like, like his mindset's like, it doesn't matter who's, like, it doesn't matter if one of the best players gets ejected. Like, I want that to happen. Like, and Doc was just trying to give, like, the political answer there. Uh, but, yeah, it was just funny to hear, like, his response afterwards because... Uh, Jeff Van Gunny was like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't care. I don't give a shit at all. Yeah, that. The more I think about that ejection, the more I realize that it was it was actually really savvy. <laughs> that whole situation was super savvy on Doc Rivers' part, Mar- Marcus yeah. Morris' part. Um, and it, it resulted in a, a game one loss, which was so, which is probably devastating. It is, for sure. For, for a for team sure. like Dallas, right? Because if Dallas wins that game, they that have takes that a, momentum yeah. and have the confidence as a younger team, too. Takes a wind out of their sails, yeah. for sure. And they were pl- they were playing well up to that point because they were down early. They were down like 10, 10, 12, like right off the bat. And then Tim Hardaway started making shots. Seth Curry started making shots. Kleba started play, uh, making big plays. So 
yeah, the unfortunately for them, they lost, and it's probably looking like the Clippers are going to come out of that, but, you know, they still have a series to go. Yeah. Um, Seth Curry with a legit 14 points. Yeah. Wow. Looks yeah. pretty good. Five yeah, for he, 11. He was, he was playing well. He was playing Four well. Four for eight from three. Wow. All right. So let's just quickly end this off. I know it's been an hour and a bit now, an hour and 20 minutes, a little longer than what we anticipated. But yeah, I've been at the shop since 9.30. <laughs> You're crazy, man. Most of 12, at least, hey, at least it's not like 11 shit. o'clock or 10.30. Yeah, we're talking about basketball. <laughs> it's all good. So uh, this afternoon, 1 o'clock, 1.30 tip off. Bucks in Orlando. Orlando gave uh, the Bucks the Raptors treatment, beating them uh, in the first game. Uh, I watched a little bit of it. I was kind of in and out of the game, watched a bit of the second and a bit of the fourth. Um, but it looked like just Vucevic had his just took yeah to control the game. I believe he had like thirty five and like thirteen fourteen rebounds. Huge game for him. Um, Markel Fultz played pretty well. Like he he missed a few uh, mid range and threes, but he controlled the game as kind of their primary ball handler and leading guard. And DJ Augustine again, an- another veteran guard who who just knows how to pl- knows how to play. Like they had a few fast breaks where they needed to settle down and not run the- run too much, and that's what he did perfectly. So um, and they're missing again. They're missing. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, Aaron, Aaron Gordon, Gordon yep. um, who else? Uh, Michael Carter Williams wasn't playing. Who usually is their uh, like the next uh, guard off the bench? And Alfred Aminu, uh, I think he was out too. So they had a few guys that were out and um, were able to really blow out the Milwaukee Bucks. They were up 10-12 the entire game. Milwaukee got it down to like they took the lead. I believe late third, early fourth, and then they uh, blew it out again. So, you know, deja vu for any Raptors fans listening. And the one thing I'll mention is the Raptors last year, they just didn't shoot well. And DJ Augustine came down, made a three with two, three seconds left, and that was the game. But this game, Orlando was just shoot like playing well all game, all game. Milwaukee was still making shots. But the thing is, Giannis only had one point in the last nine minutes of the game. His last field goal was with like 11 minutes left in the fourth. And he struggled down the stretch. Playmaking, uh, free throws, he was breaking free throws. Wasn't able to uh, finish at the rim. So that's the one concern for Milwaukee. And they didn't have a really um, good stretch of games in the bubble either. No, that's, that's exactly it. My message to Milwaukee fans is not to worry about the game one loss to Orlando because we've experienced it and we ended up winning the championship. Yeah. Same team, same situation. So that's not the issue. There's three things that come to mind. Just when you're comparing the Bucks to, say, the top three teams in the East, whether it's Toronto or Boston, their ability to just pump sub-500 teams is... It's uncanny, right? They just have they just have the ability to to just bash on sub five hundred teams. Obviously, so does Milwaukee. But like you were saying, they didn't play very well in the bubble, and I think that that builds momentum because it's kind of like you don't have home court advantage. You're stuck in the same venue, shooting on the same rims, in the same atmosphere, in the same environment. 
I honestly feel like that negativity and that sort of subpar performance carries over because you're not you're not changing locations, you're not jumping mm-hmm. on a plane, you're not eating a different meal. Yeah, you're right. It's very routine, and I and I'm scared for for Milwaukee that they might have gotten themselves into a funk too late in the season. They might be spiraling into a bit of a funk. Um, number two, I think that when teams are able to shut down Giannis, you can't really shut him down. But if you're throwing two, three, four bodies at him and making them, making the rest of the team play make, making the rest of the team create offense, they're not much of a, they're not a very frightening team when, when Middleton is, um, is the next guy up. Yeah. You know, they're going to have games and spurts where he's able to produce at an all-star level because he is one. Uh, but I'm not too afraid of them when they're in that situation. Yeah, and I was watching uh, Orlando build a wall when Giannis, like Giannis loves to grab a rebound and take three or four dribbles and dunk on on anyone. But Orlando did a good job of getting back on, on, on transition defense and building that uh, that wall with two, three guys and then collapsing, or not collapsing, but uh, getting out on shooters. Because I was watching Pat Connaughton not make any shots. Uh, both of the Lopez brothers not being able to make any shots. George Hill was George Hill. He he always plays pretty well. Um, and Eric Bledsoe again, he's not a threat on the perimeter. And really, I'm 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 in, I'm intrigued to see what happens with him because if he's not able to get a shot going, um, and they need shooters, is George Hill going to play more minutes over him? Like 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 happened like what happened last year with Brogdon, basically taking being the second. Uh, fiddle for that team when they uh, beat Boston and eventually lost to the Raptors. Um, Bledsoe did not play well, and I'm interested to see how his playoff uh, journey uh, continues uh, during the season. Yeah, Milwaukee's not going to lose this this series. No, but if Orlando is pot committed on just doing everything that they can do to stop Giannis and allowing the rest of the team to figure figure it out, then. They're not. They're gonna lose more than one game to Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It, it, it's really interesting because I think yeah, they started spiraling in the wrong direction as soon as this started, for whatever reason. And you gotta remember that I think they lost like three or four in a row to end the bubble, or no, sorry, to 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 end the regular season, um, and then COVID hit. So they they were on a spiral before COVID hit. They're not playing well within the bubble, mm-hmm. and they're off to bad start here. So, yeah, there's no doubt. Giannis needs two, maybe two more pieces, because he's not he's not a closer yet. No, and he it's a weird analogy, but think about the All Star game. Who did they go to towards the end of the All Star game? They were going towards like Lowry and Embiid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. with Giannis on their team, it was Giannis's exactly. team. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. He can still still be the most dominant player in the league. He's a, um, he's the best he, player for the first 47 minutes 47 minutes of the game, and when you need that bucket, and it's like it's like with with the Raptors with Siakam in a sense, but the Raptors are more talented to have better t- like a better team around Siakam than Antetokounmpo does have with the the Bucks. Right. Right. So when your team needs a bucket late fourth quarter, he's not able to do it. Do it because he's not making his free throws. He can't make a big three. And again, the whistle, the, the refs are going to hold their whistle a little more in the playoffs. You're not going to be able to just take one dribble and take two big steps and dunk on these two dudes because they're going to build a wall because 
They're, they're watching the film from the Raptors last year on how to stop this guy, and teams are just going to use the same strategy or uh, like an adjusted strategy, but they're going to try to use that against Antetokounmpo, and no doubt he's the MVP, like unanimous. Yeah, there's no doubt he's no the doubt, best player no doubt, in the league. No doubt, but when it comes to, again, the last minute of the game with three guys guarding you, what do you do? Are you going to turn the ball over when you try to look for um, Chris Middleton or George Hill? Or are you going to try to take a shot where you're not comfortable taking a mid-range shot or a three? And you're not going to get that call when you try to dunk on three dudes. No, and I, I want to make this like I want to make this very clear that this isn't like this isn't us um, with like spontaneous shift towards Milwaukee because they lost game one. Like we're not we're not sliding them right now because they lost game one against Orlando. I think there's actual fundamental issues with the team, and I think that that's gonna, actually going to be amplified in the playoffs. Yeah, they're 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 still the favorites to come out of the East. Um, even with the the recent drought in the last few games, um, they're definitely more intimidating the Heat than the Celtics from a Raptors perspective. But it gives it it's encouraging to watch from a Raptors fan's perspective that they're struggling against Orlando and they're struggling in the bubble and they were struggling and like Giannis is struggling and that whole team is struggling. Like there's a little weakness with them because within the regular season they were a team that historically was one of the best offensive and defensive teams of all time, right? So you got to take that into consideration. But again, they lost last year, big up two against two against two against the Raptors, and we're not sure if they're going to be able to bounce back. We'll see if they're able to even take care of Orlando in five. Mm-hmm. See how it goes against Miami, where they're going to go up against a very rugged, you know battle-tested team led by Jimmy Butler and those guys, those young guys that we mentioned earlier, and then either Toronto, Boston, or 76ers in the in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? So they, they do, even though the East is a little weaker, they still have a pretty tough uh, road to not only Eastern Conference Finals, but also the Western, or the Finals themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And just to come back to that point, like, I feel like it's hard to shake off that that rust and that drought when you're constantly playing at the same place. Um, there's something about, yeah. you know, the ability to shake it off when you go to like a different venue, different location, different arena. And, and I just, I think, support. I think they're just stuck in this bubble and it's kind of like, they're just, yeah, I don't know. A little superstition maybe, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, no, but it's, it's a totally different game. It's a, it's totally, a totally different, different game. game. That's what I'm saying. You gotta really is, take that into consideration because with, like you said, without the travel, um, without the fans, Fans are all like home the court Pfizer, advantage. The Pfizer Arena is is ridiculously loud. Yeah, you got to understand like teams like the Raptors. Like the Raptors are a really good home home team, but also a really good road team. Same with the Bucks. Yeah, both both ways. But home court advantage is definitely a factor in the NBA. Like I believe Golden State one year went like 40, 40 and one or something at home. Like that's just how much impact, like how much energy they get from from the fans. And how much momentum they can get from uh, from playing well there. So, yeah, it's a totally different game, and we'll see what happens. Like this is really just like true, organic, just like beautiful basketball at its finest, without just all the external factors. Yeah, you've trimmed all the fat. It's yeah. just basketball. That's yeah. it. That's all the players can focus on. Yeah. All right, man. I think that that should wrap it up. I think this is our longest pod ever. ever. <laughs> like, we just, we just had a lot to discuss. We'll try to shorten it up uh, next time, but, you know, hopefully you guys enjoyed 
the conversation um, and we'll try to um, give you guys a little more insights on our thoughts as the first round uh, wraps up and you know as we get into the second third whatever fourth round of the playoffs uh, we'll give you guys more in-depth analysis and our thoughts on you know different players different plays different sets different defensive schemes but you know great chatting with you nav thanks for your time and uh yeah we'll catch you guys later thanks so much for listening guys um looking forward to uh chat with you soon too. all right peace later